Okay, so we are on. We're on. We are on, Darren. You guys, today we have a guest, Darren Lamb, aka the worst Buddhist, (laughs) which I love, love. Um, And yeah, take it away from here, Brooke. You're better at this than I am. Am I really? Though? Yeah, but welcome to Between the Reps with Brooke and Gina, everybody. <laughs> I say, yeah, am I really though? Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, we got linked up with Darren through. He had emailed in, and oh, man, Gina helps keep track of emails, but it's, try. it can be difficult to like see every single every single one. <clears throat> and we recently had another listener that has read your book, and they emailed in too of like you should have the worst Buddhist on the podcast. And me and Jen are like, I think we've, I've heard that that. name before and And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I went back and I was looking through the emails and I said, Oh my God, he's written in before. And I I had remembered your email, but it was, um, it was very personal. So I didn't know if you would be comfortable with me reading it on the show. Sure. Absolutely. Like I I wrote a book about it. So, (laughs) right. (laughs) So you're comfortable with it. (laughs) Well, Darren, will you just, you know, because me and Gina know so much about you, uh, we know you've written a children's book or maybe multiple children's book, um, a recent book that kind of talks about, you know, just changes you've gone through and divorce and life changes. And, but if you could give the audience just a little synopsis about yourself, um, maybe where you, you know, how you got into writing. Who are you, Darren? How you got into writing. How you got the name, the worst Buddhist? So, uh, I'm a Marine veteran and a former Buddhist monk. Uh, I was a monk for about 13 years, but recently, uh, well, about 30 years ago, I was married and I was married for a very brief time. The marriage lasted about as long as the Lord of the Rings movie, if you can imagine that. <laughs> but, uh, Wait, quick, all three of them or just one of them? <laughs> Just one. Oh, no. But one of the great things that came from that was my daughter, Rowan. But for the past 30 years, it's just been the two of us. And because I love of that, that name, like, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you. I love that name. Rowan? Yeah. It's a great name. So if you've read any of like the Anne Rice vampire yes, stories. Yes, that's exactly why I love it. Exactly. Like, so there's something called the Rowan tree and it's something that's kind of words off vampires and stuff like that. So that's kind of where the name came from. Love it. But, uh, but anyway, like when we were growing up, I didn't really date very much because I kind of figured that, you know, like if Rowan's mom wasn't going to step up and be a mom, like how could I ask somebody else to step into that role? You know, like he just wasn't comfortable with that. So I didn't really take dating very seriously until a few years ago, I met somebody and, you know, she kind of seemed to understand, you know, she kind of seemed to understand like what Rowan was going through, what life without a mother was like for her and some of the issues that I had with that. You know, and so I, I thought we fell in love. We got married and we started a family. Well, at the time, my daughter Rowan had a boyfriend who was living with us also. And almost immediately, my new wife and Rowan's boyfriend started having an affair. My and, gosh. You know, it just, it, it devastated me. Like, you know, I, I never felt betrayal on a level like that before. Like, you know, I mean, I've had people cheat on me before who hasn't, you know, we've right. had relationships ended badly, but like with the, with your stepdaughter's boyfriend, you know, yeah, that's a, um, that's a, that's, that's an all time low right there. Yeah. Yeah. That just seemed like a whole other level. And, uh, 
But the interesting thing is like when it happened, I, I kind of thought like, wow, nobody in the world has ever been through anything like this before. But then I saw like every episode of the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> you were like, there are people out there like me. Yeah, this isn't an uncommon thing. Apparently on Pornhub, there's like a whole section. Of like- <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's not, not that uncommon. But anyway, uh, but it, it gutted me. Um, it just flat out bored me. Um, well, and it's not, it's, it, you're dealing with it and your daughter. So, right. yeah, that's a double whammy. But like in a really quick time period, I went from this happy-go-lucky Buddhist monk who wore like funky colored Chuck Taylor shoes to a potential spree killer in just a matter of months. And, (laughs) you know, like I was spending a lot of time holding a loaded Glock and I knew that like if if something didn't change, I was going to use it in one way or another. You know, I was thinking about suicide. I was thinking about murder. I was thinking an awful lot about murder, (laughs) but, uh, you know, then I just, I just hit a point where I was like, okay, something has to change with this. Otherwise I'm, I'm on this path of self-destruction that just needs some massive recorrection. So, so what happened was I decided that I needed to find some happiness in my life. And that was just like the basic thing, you know, it was like kind of somebody's like starving for oxygen. You just need that first breath where you're just like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I just need some type of joy, some type of enjoyment, some type of peace, some type of clarity in my life. And so I started looking for it and I started taking these small little steps and those steps ended up becoming the happiness project that I wrote the book about. And, you know, like most of the time, like you guys both know, being you know fitness people, um, a lot of people say like, oh, well, happiness, you know, that's kind of like one of the byproducts of exercise. But I kind of wanted to look at it from the other end. I wanted to look at it as like exercise and training as a method to become happy. And it works, you know. Um, the, the crazy thing is that there is absolutely nothing special about me. Um, if I can do this, Anybody in the world can do this. And the way that I wrote the book, it's really, really simple and straightforward. Just little tiny baby steps that we can do every single day just to bring a little bit more enjoyment into our lives and bring some happiness. I love that. It's, and it's so true. Um, I've definitely been at a point where, I mean, it was, a, you know, divorce. And like, for same. <laughs> same. Mm-hmm. Um, where for about at least a year and a half, I would say, was like desperate for to be happy. Like everything, it's all you want and you just, and you just can't. Like trying so hard, like even, you know, certain interactions with people like that normally would like bring you happiness. It's like, why, like, where is it? Like I... I want it, but I, I can't feel it. I can't find it. And I just, that's, that's all I want so badly. And in, you know, in my case at that time for a long time, um, it was a matter of like, you know, Gina re, like reassured me that it's just in, you know, in my case, it was time. Like I just needed to do what I could, like do the, the little steps, like get back to like a, 
like a basic routine of doing incorporating things that are good for me will help with, you know, endorphins, like working out, focusing on things that, you know, aren't going to allow me to like stay in a place where you're alone with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like time just sort of needed, it was, it was time that would heal. But at the same time too, time won't heal if you're not taking the little steps, like what you mentioned. If you're not trying and, and you have to like steadfast to the to the plan and trust that it will it will it will pay off you know over time because um, I don't know about you Darren but I can imagine it's the same as with me it was you know for a, for months it was doing those things but nothing was changing in particular of like how I felt um, maybe in certain moments but to be able to just have that be a feeling like happy that was just easier, you know, it it would happen without so much work took a long time of being consistent, of trying and not giving up. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times it's hard too, because the things that brought you joy before are no longer bringing you joy. Yeah. (laughs) So that's hard too, because, you know, if you are somebody that's already been doing things that have brought you that then yeah to be in that place and to go well fuck now what like yeah nothing's bringing me joy the things that used to are not what are some of the things that you started doing well one of the things i started doing was jujitsu training um honestly it it was kind of okay so this is going to sound horrible but like a lot of times sound horrible if you're familiar with like people who cut themselves, yeah. you know, like they, they want to experience that pain because that pain is so sharp and it's just so loud that it kind of blocks out everything else. Mm-hmm. And so in this weird sort of way, you, you get this kind of peace, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like, Oh, like, okay, God, everything just shut out for a little bit. You know, um, please, if you are out there cutting, please don't do it. Yeah, don't okay. Do that. There's a, there's other ways to do it, but that's kind of how jujitsu was for me. Like, you know, like, um, jujitsu and martial arts training, like I would get punched in the face, I would get choked out or something like that. And it kind of took away some of the pain for a while, you know? And it was like, it was almost just like trying to shut down in this weird sort of way. Like I couldn't do it by myself. It's, you know, like people commit suicide by cop, you know, like I, I was kind of trying to commit suicide through jujitsu, but, uh, but as it went on, things started to change and it started to become like, okay, now I'm starting to find happiness in the training process, you know, in the methodology of it. And the same thing, like with my exercise program, you know, like, um, Oh, by the way, the naked program really helped out a lot with that. Cause, uh, I jumped into the CrossFit thing and it was like so brand new to me. I was going from the conventional training to mm-hmm. CrossFit and, you know, have, having your guidance and expertise there was just so helpful for that. That makes but, me so you know, happy. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like just trying to find, you know, you feel that pain in your muscles, like when you're training and yeah. stuff like that. You know, like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm on the verge of injury, but that's where the magic happens. That's like where you get to push through that next level. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, and I started to find out that that's where I'm thriving, you know, that's where things are happening to me and that's where I'm making those breakthroughs. And so that's what helped. 
Oh, for sure. I get that. <clears throat> it's a, you feel that fatigue and pain and like full body mental exhaustion that you don't think about, like nothing else matters. <laughs> like you don't think about anything else in, in that moment. Um, I mean, I definitely, just in, in terms of like training, uh, or when I've had, I, I've dealt with like anxiety almost my whole life. It's so like, that's like a form that I always enjoyed. And like, I have been very active, whether it was dance class or let's talk about CrossFit training. Uh, if I was super stressed, really anxious. If I could go and just do a workout that didn't take a lot of setup, didn't need a lot of planning, didn't make me have to try and focus and do something that's very, very planned out. I would just want to do a workout where I could get in it and I knew I would suffer and it would hurt and it would be long. And by the end of it, so tired, like so exhausted. And at the end, it's like, it's like, it was like a reset button for me and still is, but it was like a total reset button where you just kind of like, you got to start over and if I was at a point where I was so stressed out or emotional, like maybe I was just dealing with a lot of stuff and I was anxious and I was not, I was having a hard time being able to handle all of it. You almost, I always felt like you, if I exert myself so much where I'm just in this full body fatigue and breathing hard, it was as if like that was my release for all that like bound up emotion that I was struggling to understand or um, work through. And then at the end of it, you're like, all right, I'm just going to make a to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's all it needs. We're going we're gonna to figure this out with a to-do list, one thing at a time. Exactly. And then when you walk out of the gym and after you've been through that, you feel like, okay, I can do something. You know, I took a step today that I didn't think I might be able to take, but you did it. And, and then you're in a better place. So, Yeah. Um, tell us about your book. How long were you writing, writing that for? So I wrote this for about a year and, uh, you know, I, I've written other books and yeah, tell, them, tell everybody what other books. Okay. So since I was a Buddhist monk, one of the ways that I taught the Dharma was through my writing. And so I write these books that all kind of have like a little Buddhist flavor to them, but they're in no way like a spiritual type of book, you know? Um, I would say that they're for those people who say that they're spiritual, but not religious, mm -hmm. you know? And they're kind of fun. Like, like I have a book called Rebirth. It's a zombie book, you know, about like what it would be like to be a Buddhist in the zombie apocalypse. And stuff, you know? <laughs> I love it. So they're, so they're all kind of like fun and light, but hopefully they have like a little message to them that doesn't beat you over the head with, you know, like, heavy dogma and you know you're just like okay wow i get it you know like it, it's it's in a fun way but so uh this was a little bit of a branch because it's a little different writing non-fiction than fiction you know like like when you're writing a book about zombies anything can happen you know <laughs> <That's> like, <true. laughs> like real life and like this is the process that i used to put myself back together after i was broken you know, you got to have a little bit of authenticity to that. And it takes you to a place where you just have to be completely vulnerable and open and just 
being willing to tap into that place and then to be able to share that with others, you know, like, like I was saying before, when this first happened, I felt completely alone. I felt, you know, like nobody is going to understand what I'm going through. But the, the minute I started talking to people about it, everybody has a story about this. You know, like everybody understands pain. Everybody understands heartbreak. And they've all had those moments in their life where they're like, I don't know what to do to make myself feel better, you know? And so if I could somehow give them a way, like just to be like, maybe try this, you know? And if it gets into that place where they feel like, okay, I can take that step. I can, I can make that change because we all have that potential to do it. Just sometimes we just need that little nudge and, you know, hopefully my book can nudge you in that direction and get you going. And I think it probably helps a lot too. I mean, I don't think it does. I know it does from personal experience, but for people that are feeling in a way lost or um, like out of, like out of body experience of like feeling alone and knowing like they've felt not alone and they've, they've felt happiness and they know all, they, they, they weren't dealing with this before, but now all of a sudden everything feels different and they, they don't know what to do or they don't know how to change it. Um, to be able to hear from other people that are like, it's basically saying like, you're like, I've been there. Yes. You know, is a yeah. very, like just knowing that is like, that's a very comforting feeling knowing that, you know, I'm Someone not going through it right now, experience. but I've went, I went through it. Mm-hmm. And you will make it out the other side. Like it, you right. will get through it. Right. Well, in fact, I think one of my first emails that I sent you, um, because I, I had known that Brooke had gone through a divorce and, uh, you know, I've been watching like all the blogs and stuff like that. And, and it seems like you, you bounce back and you're in a much better place right now and that you're happy. And so I, I was inquiring, like, what did you do? You know, like what were the steps that you took to find some joy and happiness and to put yourself back together? I'm like thinking about it as, as if you asked, <laughs> asked me. No, I was thinking about you. Oh, I know. I was like, you'd probably get a better answer if Gina answered for me. I don't, I don't know if they're, I think what's hard when you're asked, like what steps have you taken? I don't know that there are specific ones. Does that make sense? So like, I think that for what I noticed with Brooke is that she just would have to keep going with her day to day and just force herself because it's, it's so easy to be in that bad place and just not want to be around anyone and not, not want to do anything. And I think there was a decision made that you would, whether you were enjoying it or not, you would force yourself yeah. to get up and to go and to, and to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty introverted. And every time I tell people that they're like, no, no, you're not. She is. She is. So when I am stretched really thin or going through something, you know, very difficult, it is like, you know, um, it's hard to be able to do like (laughs) almost anything. Um, and I'm like, I was, I'm a different case in, in a sense where something 
with fitness and, and training, um, it was my, it was my job. So I think something that I did, you know, over time, like not right away, but I'm not competing anymore. Um, people keep asking me, like, when are you going to compete? And it's like, well, you know, I keep, like for a long time, I put it off. I put off saying I was done because I didn't want to be done. But the truth is, is after my cervical fusion and then going to regionals after that and then dealing with shoulder stuff after that, it's like it was just out of my control. So I have really been taking it, you know, trying to, it took a while to like accept that I am never, I want, I'm never going to be the athlete that I was like, and that's so shitty. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it sucks. Um, well, and so much of your identity is wrapped into that. Yes. And, but something I have enjoyed doing and I, you know, I plan to do more and I do find that joy is when I finally got to a, a point where I could get up and go do things without having to force myself is um, exploring other forms of, of athletics or training that I don't do all the time that I have, you know, and being able to, it's like, I have this, I have a little more time than I did before um, to be able to do that. And it, when you discover something new that like, you, it's hard or like you really enjoy it. Like that right there bring is like a spark of happiness. You know, I think, and just over time, but for a while, I mean, there were, I definitely had days where, uh, you had, had my dad calling me and I'm just, I mean, what I, how I felt and what I had said to the people that I felt the most trusted to, to explain it to was I was, I was like very, very broken. And and it was so hard, but like, and then you add that to being someone who is, when I am really deep in like being introverted and I'm just thinking all the time, it's debilitating. It's, you know, my dad would call and be like, you have to get up right now and go to your friend's house. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would call Gina and I would, I would do it. I would, okay, I'm going to, I get up and I'd go to Gina's and I would, you know, socialize with, you know, the friends that I am the closest with, um, like I have a lot of friends, but I have a still fairly small group of those people that like, I don't have to, I don't, I'm, if I show up, they're not expecting me to be a certain way or to be as like, be very outgoing. They expect nothing from me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the people that expect nothing from you. Um, they, they pay attention to you. They're aware of you they love every part of you and they just are there for you. And that's, and that's, that's what I would do. It's like, I could be honest with her. I could show up and just, and be hurting. And she, and her, me knowing that she understood was very, it was, you know, comforting. And also that she didn't try to tell me, she didn't try to change me, but, it, uh, but she would help by whether it was conversation or things we did to help me, you know, change it for myself, you know, and I think, um, and that's just, you know, hopefully having, you know, some of the right people. Well, that's a big part of it too. Cause bro, uh, bro, you also did the same for me. Yes. I, I went did. through it first. She went through it first. So, <laughs> so she also was the same. I, I think that it's, it's, I, I wouldn't say easier it's always hard to go through, but 
I mean, there are people out there, like you were saying, I felt completely alone and you do feel that way, but you are lucky if you have somebody that you can be raw with and be very uh, open and real and a little ugly yeah. and <laughs> an ugly cry, <laughs> an ugly cry and do all of that with. And, and so that's, what's so cool about your book, because unfortunately there are some people that don't, that don't have those people in their life. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. And, and there are people out there and that's why I think it's so great that you have written this book because even people that don't have those people in their lives, at least you can be a voice to them to say, hey, you aren't alone. <laughs> Do this, well, this, and this. You know, we do feel alone a lot of times because like, you know, we do have these unique situations, but everybody, everybody understands pain. You know, that's like one of the first concepts of Buddhism is that life is suffering and that we all get that, you know, um, we all have these desires and we all have these attachments that we, you know, the way we want things to be and it seldom goes that way, but sometimes not getting what you want can be the best thing that ever happened to you. You know, like um, this divorce, even though I, I didn't think I was ever going to get past it, but because it forced me to do the work, I am in a better place now than I've ever been in my life. That's you know, awesome. I have, I have people around me who truly care and truly understand and have truly just helped me move beyond this hunk of goo that I just was, you know, just, just this broken mound of nothing. You know, now I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff, you know, I'm living life and I'm, I'm having joy and I'm having these awesome connections like, like this, you know, like where I get to talk to people and, and find out that like, wow, you know, like 
we all have these connections. You know, we all think that we're so like, okay, so in Buddhism, there was a second before the big bang happened where everything was kind of condensed into this one thing, you know, then the big bang happened. There's this big explosion and it blows everything apart. And when that happened, we created this concept of identity where it's like, I am separate from everything else. And, and that's kind of one of the things that brings us the most suffering. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a famous Vietnamese monk. He says that like, we think that we're the individual drops instead of the ocean itself. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. where we're all connected. We all have this interconnectedness together. Um, there's another Zen master, Wu Wei, who said that we suffer because 99% of the things we do, we do for ourselves, and there's not a self. So that's why we suffer, you know? Yeah. So, like, when we get to connect and we find out that, like, okay, wow, we all have these same experiences. We all have this. And because we have that, we also have the capability to lift each other up and to support each other and to be like, okay, you know what? I've got your back. You might be suffering right now, but I might not get it exactly what's going through, but I know the pain that you're experiencing and I can be there for you with that. And, and that's one of the best parts about humanity is that we get to step into that role and actually be there and support each other. Like, like you guys got to do when you both were going through your divorce. That's just, that's amazing. You know? yeah. I've never heard those quotes before. And I know. I love that. They're so wonderful. And so true. I mean, um, yeah, man. And to understand that, but then to remember it when you are the person that's, that's suffering, like, you know, and remember that the importance of being, of being vulnerable enough to allow people to be part of you and to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a challenge in and of, in and of itself. And depending on the type of person you are. Um, I was going to say, especially for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I think that. Well, you know what I mean? No, I yeah. well, it's, no, it's true. Yeah. It wasn't like, a criticism. Um, no, it's uh, very common amongst I feel pretty good about saying like everyone in my family, but like the women in my family, like my mom, my grandma, my aunt, um, very do not like to ask for help. Really has a really hard time, even though they, they, they want it, feeling uh, in a way like it could be feeling weak or feeling... Well, I think a lot of times vulnerable, feeling vulnerable for people feels like it's weakness. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yes. But like, you know, I was going to talk about my aunt. I was, was going to say, those wheels are turning. I, like, I don't think my aunt listens to this, but <laughs> just incredible woman. Like, incredible woman. Has had a very, very hard life. Um, 
diabetic. Uh, she's had both of her legs amputated, stroke, and she. I mean, after the after the stroke, I mean, relearning how to even talk and function and be able to live alone. Um, but she does not like to receive help, even if it's not help. You know, like it's just what family does. It's like you wouldn't even conceive, you would look at it and almost think like, well, that's not really help. It's just like, like, that's just what, that's what you do. That's what you do. Like we're just here for you. Just like you're here for me. You know, but I think that some people just get, I'll say this. This is why it's so important earlier on in life or like, just like now, you know, like sooner than later to start practicing being more self-aware and knowing that it's okay to change. It's okay to identify um, qualities of yourself that can be unhealthy in certain situations or, you know, and, and work on them and like be able to forgive yourself if you maybe recognize some qualities that you're like, oh, I, you know, I don't really want to, I don't really want to do that. Like every, you know, if I get really upset or something really bothers me and I immediately like look recluse and, and push everyone away. It's like, well, that's, I wouldn't want someone I love to do that to me. Like I would want to help. I would want to be there. And like being able to kind of recognize, allow yourself to recognize these qualities and things and don't recognize them as being good or bad. Just recognize them so you can make changes. You know, it's, it's not a matter of so many people get so they just get, you get defensive um, I mean, I have personal experience, but we'll talk about like in a, in a friendship, right? Um, if I were to be like, Gina, you did this thing and it, it really hurt my feelings. In some cases in re- relationships I've had, the immediate response is defensiveness on her side. I didn't do that. I never did that. It's more like, you know, this is your problem. It ends up being something that's like, oh, I now I feel bad for even thinking that you did that. Right. And, and so it turns into like this, this person has to function with that and deal with it and move on from it any way that they can. Right. When in reality, this person, like me saying, Jeannie, you really hurt my feelings. You did this. Her natural response is like, oh, I'm just an asshole. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like me, I make, I'm saying no. Right. I'm not saying Which actually is not my response. It's like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that <laughs> By you're, the way. you're a piece of shit or you're an asshole. Right. I'm just bringing this to your attention because I know that, or I, what I feel or I would think is that you wouldn't want to make me feel a certain kind of way. So I'm, I'm talking to you about it in confidence in hopes that you might re- be willing to recognize like, oh man, I, I did do that. That wasn't my intention at all. Yeah. But if it's coming across that way and it's making you feel this way, well, now I'm going to, you know, and then well, you're to, gonna feel to, together you like, like, okay, how can we work through this type of situation? So the next time it happens, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't end it's up not hurting it anyone. It doesn't hurt anybody. Right. Um, and it's from being, you have to, the only way you get there is from being honest and practicing the way you have that conversation or the way you. Being less defensive. Being less defensive and being willing to accept blame, like being willing to uh, take responsibility for your actions, even if that's not, wasn't, wasn't your, intention your intention at all. Right. 
And that to get to that kind of a place with somebody is very difficult. Yes. <laughs> um, but working through that now, like sooner rather than later, being able to start practicing, having an open, more of an open conversation, being willing to have dialogue when you, you would rather keep it all inside is going right. to make things easier if you, any, any of our listeners, if you do go through something that can feel like the world is ending. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Well, especially like with men, <clears throat> we have this tendency like, okay, when, when we feel bad emotions, we're just going to pack that down and hopefully someday we'll die. You know, like that's kind of our go-to. <laughs> and, and we have an exit plan. <laughs> There's an exit strategy to this. It's not right. sure when it's going to happen. It's death. <laughs> you know, but if we can't, like we talked about vulnerability there for a little bit. Um, vulnerability, it does kind of have this bad tendency to it. But if you've ever heard like Brene Brown talk about it. Oh, yes. That was know? that was the book, uh, Daring Greatly. That is the book that really probably. Okay, so I did do something. I read Daring right. Greatly. And uh, that is that book was a huge. And, and I actually did this. Um, I read that book not before my divorce or after my divorce. I read it in 2016 when I was, I did, I missed qualifying for the CrossFit games by one spot and, or by one, whatever it was, one point or something like that. Yeah, very was, close. It was really very close. close. But I got so, I was trolled so unbelievably hard oh, online and I was already like a lot of the things that I was reading, it was almost like those were, those were for one, not true or real, but they were maybe some negative thoughts that I had, I had maybe thought about myself. So when there was now this, this connection, even though I knew that there are trolls out there, like I knew what they were doing, I still couldn't help but feel like, oh my God, like all these things I thought, I never said them out loud because, you know, I wasn't sure if they were, if they were true or, you know, and now they're saying, now they're saying the world these things see. and I'm like, oh my God, I've been outed. And after that, um, 2016 regionals, I went through a period of time where I was dealing with uh, imposter syndrome and, but I read Daring Greatly from Brene Brown and incredible book. Uh, yeah. Um, being vulnerable can be a source of strength, you know, especially when we have those moments, like with the CrossFit games, um, in, in Buddhism, there's this huge thing about non-attachment and there's this chapter in the book about this. And I actually thought about you while I was writing this, um, that whole, you know, we set these goals for ourselves and we try so hard and we're working towards them and everything like that. And, and what happens when, something shakes that up and we don't meet that goal, you know, um, can, can we still be proud of the fact that we did everything right to get to that point that we still trained with intensity and heart and compassion and love. And it just didn't happen. You know, like, like one of the examples that I use, um, I don't know how familiar you are with MMA, but there was the Ronda Rousey fight yes. with against Holly Holm. Mm-hmm. And when Ronda Rousey lost her title, when she lost the UFC title, that was it. You know, um, she became very suicidal after that. 
And one quote that I remember her saying was that she, she was in the locker room after it. And she was like, if I'm not this, what am I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And just how, how do you get past that? Like, okay. Because obviously I'm a huge Ronda Rousey fan and she is so much more than a UFC champion. You know, she is an amazing human being and an incredible athlete, you know? So for her to have to go to that moment and be like, gosh, if I'm not the champ, does that mean that my life is meaningless? Mm -hmm. You know, that's so sad. And like, it shouldn't be that way, but we do, we place these expectations and just this weight upon us. And like, I'm sure that, you know, when, when this stuff happened to you with CrossFit, you was kind of like, Oh my gosh, what now? You know, what am I going to be now? But you're a great example of this because, like, look at where you are now. And yeah. things are great. <laughs> it, def- it definitely took some time for me to realize. Um, like, it, t- it took time to realize that people who supported me or, you know, enjoyed following me and being a part of everything that I was doing, um, actually, like, that I actually brought them more value than where I placed in a competition, but it took me some time to get to a point where I could understand that and believe it because I knew it. Right. It's like, that's like very logical and I'm a pretty logical person. Um, but I didn't believe it even though I would try and tell myself, you know, it's like I, I knew it and that would make so much sense. And I, and I, if I looked at anyone else, that's what I would tell them. Like, were you out of your mind? You're out of your mind. Right. You know, but when it was myself, I didn't, you know, you don't realize how much of your identity and your self-worth becomes dependent on like certain things. This one goal. Yeah. Right. And for me, it was, you know, after I went to the CrossFit games, it was like, I can't not be a games athlete now. Like, right. Right. <laughs> like I finally, it's like, I have it's to like, go it's back. Like, you know, I'm playing Mario. And you like beat the level. Like I beat it. I went to the games. Here I am. I put in all this work. I am an incredible athlete. And, and never going to beat then the I, next and then level. I, and then I didn't beat Bowser, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you're going back to the beginning, ma'am. I kind of had the same thing uh, when I stopped being a Buddhist monk. Like, I stopped being a monk to get married. That was kind of one of the things that, you know, monks can't be married. I was just going to ask you that. I was going to say, like, can monks have sex? No. (laughs) No. They they can and everything, but they just can't. They can't get married. Um, But I, I gave up being a monk to get married. And so, like, when the marriage didn't work... I went through that. I was like, oh my gosh, I gave up my whole entire identity. And of course I didn't, but like that voice inside of your head makes you think that like, this is who you are. And without this, you're not that, you know, you're not anything, mm-hmm. which by the way, it, that voice inside your head is not you. No. Okay? That is not who you are. And so oftentimes that voice inside your head is not your plan. Okay. So when you can get to the point to where you can realize that like, 
okay, I don't have to listen to this. You know, like this voice inside my head is not my identity and I'm more than that. I can be more than what this thing is telling me. That's when you get to like step out of your comfort zone and reach for more and, and step into power. So, Is there a word yeah. uh, for that voice in Buddhism? We call it the ego. Oh, okay. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. My ego is an asshole. <laughs> your ego is an asshole. <laughs> the ego is not My your ego friend. is a total asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest asshole. My ego is like the person that's like really fun to like party with, but they always like, they always ruin it too. <laughs> like they get the party just started. just into trouble. Tons of ideas. Right. Having a great time. You know, but then they're also the one that like ruins the party. <laughs> right. They're the one that like takes it a little too far or, you know, or you're, at a, party, you're, you're at a party having a great time and you, the voice in your head is like the one that's like crying in the corner and ruins the party. <laughs> like, why are you crying? <laughs> Stop crying. <laughs> and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm the one crying. I'm crying. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah, we went we went bathing suit shopping today, and I think Brooke's <laughs> ego was taking over. <laughs> Mine, mine too, mine too. Anybody out there that do, goes bathing suit shopping? It's the worst. It's bad. Bathing suit shopping is awful. What? And sorry, go ahead. Gonna I was just up- going to say it was like there, uh, all the cards were stacked against us, and I, I was reminding Gina of that in the first store we went into because I was like Gina, she was like not having a good time. <laughs> we're in separate rooms. I just keep going. Go, oh my god! And I, I go, Gina. You just, you have to keep reminding yourself that this is fluorescent lighting. <laughs> like, I, like, I had cellulite light on my ankles that I didn't know about from fluorescent lighting. The thing, the thing about it is, like, too, whenever I go to a place like that, who there's so many stores that have shitty lighting. Is like, come on. How are you selling Like, anything? do you want to sell more stuff? Like, don't, <laughs> the goal is like, stuff. don't make people feel shittier because they're not buying anything. No. We yeah. went to the second store and we were in there and there's, it's all like curtains and there's one curtain between her, her stall and mine. So we open it and we're trying on swimsuits. And I was like, I look and I was like, isn't the lighting in here way better? It's way better. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I can actually somewhat stand myself right now. But yeah. Anyway, I'm, Darren's like, oh yeah, me too. When I, <laughs> all the time when I go bathing suit shopping. Well, on, on a similar thing, like, so one thing I'm, I'm facing with this too is I just barely started tempo training for mm. the very first time. I've never done this before. What is it? And so tempos. Oh, tempo. Yeah, we did. I thought today. you said temple. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is that? We would keep it slow through the motions, and you know, so of course, because of this, you have to go with a much lighter weight, mm-hmm. and that for a guy, that's a big ego thing, you know. Like all of a sudden, it's like, okay, great, I'm picking up the dumbbells that are on the edges of the the dumbbell rack and right and everyone's watching me right <laughs> right you know like okay just put put away that ego and just focus on the muscle and everything's going to be fine but it, it's hard it's a definite process right and and most likely nobody's looking at you thinking that i mean i'm sure there's Absolutely. assholes out there that actually do look at other people at the gym and critique them and look at their weight but i, I mean i certainly don't <laughs> Well, I have uh, an ego-driven decision that I like to make. What? Because I don't compete anymore. and I don't train like a competitor. I don't necessarily like go out of my way to like, when I'm in Utah, mm-hmm. I train at fitness culture and we do a bunch, we train a lot. 
but I don't, I used to go to like the local CrossFit box and I could still go there, but it's like this. I don't want to give anyone the opportunity to, to like look at me and be like, Oh, I, I know exactly what you're saying. You know what I mean? And, yes. be, like, and be like, well, she's uh, not lifting as much as she used to. She used to be so fit. <laughs> <laughs> she used to be so great. Now look but at when, her. Uh, we'll be training at West fitness where we train in Santa Cruz and there's some of the boys that will, if I do the class workout, cause me and Gina will do class a lot, you know, often it makes it more fun. It's fast. Um, there'll be a workout and the boys will be like, Brooke, what weight are you doing? Cause like they, if they don't want Assume, to, they yeah, don't but, want me to do more weight than them or if I'm going to, you know, whatever. And I look at them all the time and I'm like, Hey man, you can do what you want. I'm scaling. I'm it. scaling this shit. And I'll tell them, it's like, you know what? I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm just trying to fit in my pants. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'm not like you go, do, trying to kill you myself. go do you, man. I did that in, in, I did, and I did that because I loved it, but also because I had to, that was, that was my training that I was going to, I had to be ready for the games. And it's like, now I'm just trying to like not hurt when I sleep. Right. Like when I get into bed at night, like not lay there with like my, you know, my hip, my hips are so tight. I can't lay on my back because my back hurts. So I got to lay on my side and shove a pillow between my legs and wrap my arms around a pillow. Then and you come like, over this morning. You're like, my shoulder hurts. I did. I think I slept on it. Wrong. Yes. Last night. <laughs> but like yeah. when you sneak and it just feels like your whole body unzips itself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm using that. That was so good. Your whole I body unzips thought, itself. I immediately thought, me. I'm like, I'm pretty oh. sure she just felt that. <laughs> She sneezes like, like so hard. And like, 100% just, is what, how I feel. Don't sneeze too yeah. hard or everyone's going like to see you what sneeze you really and you're like, like. Oh, did I hurt my back? What was that? <laughs> like, geez. Oh, that was a good one. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> so you were, so you were a monk for, was it 13 years? 13 years. Yeah. How did, how you, did you end up going to be a monk? And, and uh, was that something that you had thought about like growing up or were you spiritual growing up? Not at all. No, it was the furthest thing ever. Like if, if somebody had told me I would have been a monk, I, I would have laughed just myself silly. <laughs> You're, You're like, like oh, I'm a complete you know atheist. <laughs> so um, I started martial arts at a fairly young age and just loved it. It's been my passion all my life. And uh, I joined the Marine Corps and was a combat veteran. And But when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was not ready to fit back into society at all. Like I just couldn't, couldn't function in, in the real world at all. And so I moved to Japan and found a monastery there and began to train. But the monastery I went to was a combat monastery. It's like where they study martial arts and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the, the best example I can think of is if you've seen Batman Begins, yes. like a little oh, temple. Oh, yeah. That went yes. That was kind of like the temple that I went to. And, uh, I went to improve my fighting skills and to improve my physical fitness in learning about mindfulness and meditation for this thing ever. You know, like I, I could care less about that, you know, but when I was there, you know, it, it kind of started to creep in, you know? And so like when I came home, I had to have the awkward talk with my parents and everything and be like, you know, mom, dad, I, think I might be Buddhist and you know they're like well we love you anyway and everybody knows. <laughs> but, um, but then when when it came time to leave uh they asked me if I wanted to be a monk and I just 
basically laughed and was like, you guys are, you guys are high and there's no way, <laughs> you know, like I, I would be the worst monk ever, you know? And so I, I moved back to Salt Lake city and there was a Zen temple here where I started training at. And after a little while they asked me, Hey, do you want to be a monk? And suddenly it, it didn't feel so weird at that point because like I'd been doing some work with the homeless. I'd been teaching meditation classes at the prison and I'm a chaplain for Intermountain Healthcare here in, in Utah and had been doing some like end of life work with the patient. And, you know, so like the, the monk thing just felt a little more natural at that yeah. point. Yeah. But the, the weird, crazy thing is that almost immediately after I became a monk, uh, my temple was involved in this huge sex scandal, which thank God I didn't have any part of. But uh, the temple ended up closing. And so, again, I had this, this choice where it's like, okay, well, great. Now, now I'm a monk. Without, <laughs> without a temple. temple. Without a temple. <laughs> what, what am I going to do at this point? And so I, I had the choice. It's like, well, I, I guess I'm not going to be a monk anymore, but that didn't feel right either. And so I decided, like, I'm, I'm just going to do this on my own. You were a lone and, monk. Yeah. So in, in samurai culture, there's something called a ronin. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with that, but like a, I saw that movie. a ronin is a masterless samurai. So I became, I became a ronin Buddhist. You know, I became this monk who just didn't have a temple and did my own kind of work. So in, in Buddhism, there's this weird thing that happens. So like when you first take your vows, one of the very first vows that they have you take is that you will end the suffering of all sentient beings. That's the first vow you take. I vow to end the suffering of all sentient beings. Okay. That's a huge well, responsibility. Awesome, yeah, huge responsibility. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. No guidance for this. Like, okay, well, how are you supposed to do this? Oh, well, I'm sorry. I have to like, return a red box first and then I'll get right on. You know, like how do we do this? But that's where Zen comes in. Like if you're familiar with Zen, the moment when we place a label upon something, we limit it to being just that thing. Mm -hmm. Like say, for example, you take a butter knife and you say, this is a butter knife. Okay. Well, at that moment, now suddenly it can't be like a flathead screwdriver or a, spatula or a pry object or anything like that, because now it's just a butter knife, you know? And so I was doing this thing too. Like I had this perception of what a monk should be, you know, of what I thought a monk would be. And I realized like it, it was limiting. It was limiting like what I could do. And so that's actually what, one reason why I call myself the worst Buddhist, but, you know, because I, I'm just doing things completely on my own, you know, uh, struggling to find that kind of peace of mind, that calm, you know, like every, like when people think of a Buddhist monk, they think of this like just total calm Zen Yoda type figure. And I am not that. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that at all. Especially like if you see me stub my toe or anything like that, you know, I'm just like the total ball of rage just going. So, <laughs> But learning how to do this on my own and learning how to like step into a role and realizing that I can do this in any way that I want to, it actually made me become a better Buddhist and a better monk because I, I had to learn it on my own and find out ways that 
maybe other people wouldn't have thought of, or maybe that I wouldn't have thought of if I had like a teacher or a formal environment, like telling me like, this is what you should do. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have gone in the direction that I did. Yeah. Makes sense. So do you go, do you have a temple that you go to now or no? There is a temple here in Salt Lake. Um, it's very small, but I, like Brooke can tell you, cause she's been here in Salt Lake. I think there's like maybe eight Buddhist here. You know? I was going <laughs> to say, yeah, like, like a really, really, really eight. small. Culture. Yeah. But, uh, but I still, um, I still try to not affiliate myself with a particular temple just because I, I like that freedom. I like mm-hmm. being in my own thing. And, uh, it, it just it just opens more doors for me than if I attach myself to a particular, you know, sangha, which is a, like a, a type of temple. Okay. So. His his temple is where he is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, which is probably um, it's got to be you know in you know in may in particularly hard situations. Um, not you you have an advantage in a sense where like you can find what you need or problem solve or um expand your mind on ideas anywhere you are versus maybe you know having something that you're so like the place where you go does that make sense and like i know nothing about buddhism but thinking about how like a, mm, like a, you, some people would be like, it's a crutch or right. like you're like, you're like, like your baby blanket or like something that's like that. You need that to, for like protection or to feel stable. Right. Or Instead put, you're relying on your own practice and your own and yourself. Right. Right. Or again, it feeds that ego thing. Like where it's like, Hey, I'm super cool. Cause I'm this monk at this cool temple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. So, yeah. Right. Well, I think that what you're doing is incredible, and I'm so happy that you have shared your experience uh, in a book, so people have that and can go to that. Um, I'm reading them. Yeah, I want to read that zombie one. <laughs> that sounds so well, good. I'll, I'll definitely send you one. So. Oh well, I wasn't asking for you to send me one. I can buy one. I like supporting people. Yeah, we can buy we, them. We, yeah, we'll buy them. Actually, on that note, um, will you share with everyone kind of where they can find you and uh, your books and all that jazz? Awesome, yes. So uh, my website is theworstbuddhist.com. <laughs> Love it. And you can find my stuff there. Or uh, on Instagram, you can find me at, at Darren underscore Lamb underscore author. Um, I used to be the worst Buddhist on Instagram too, but since I'm a monk, I'm, I'm kind of trying to steer more to just my writing because it, it feels ingenuous to kind of identify like, Hey, I'm the monk guy when I'm not. Yeah. When I'm right. Not. Right. Yeah. Right. So that, that's why the shift is happening. But yeah. So Darren underscore lamb underscore author. And is it so. D-A-R-R-E-N? D-A-R-R-E-N. Perfect. Yes. Sweet. Darren, thanks so much for taking the time. And thank you. Do you remember the the um the listener's name that sent in the, oh. remi- the email to remind I'll us find to out. go back to our I'll find out to search Maggie. Which sorry. completely blows my mind that somebody did this. I know. Um I'll find it. And they mentioned in the book, so they've read the book and 
they said to reach out to you as a guest. And that's what was so funny is we were like, I was like, gosh, I feel like I've heard that name. And uh, Gina's brother-in-law is, we were trying to think like, did we hear it through Joe? Oh yeah. Cause he's super. Right, into- cause he, has, he has his podcast. Yes. Spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual I, as fuck or whatever or something. I didn't know if I could say that. Yeah. yeah no, you, you can, can say it. Oh yeah. No, you can say it. You can definitely say it. Yeah. You can definitely say it. Um, let me find it. All right. We found the email. So we wanted to thank Cammie. Yeah. Kruger. We wanted to thank Cammie Kruger. Yes. For writing in. Thank you, Cammie. And she's just a huge fan of your book. I think I froze again. Oh, you did a little bit. You did a little it's bit. Probably a mix between our internet and your internet. Yeah, we do. What we, we do what we can with Zoom. We can hear you go. though. Um, okay, gotcha. Okay, Darren. Before we go, what, if anything, do you have like a very small piece of advice that you could give our listeners? I mean, we'll tell them to read your book, but yes, you guys, you have to read this yeah, book. You have to read this book. The Happiness Project, as it's called, right? The Happiness the Project. Happiness program. The Happiness Program. Program. Program, not program. project. Got it. The program. Happiness Program. So the biggest thing is that a lot of times, okay, so there's this, there's this famous quote by Robert Downey Jr. where he said that, like, it's not that difficult to overcome all these horrendous things that we're facing. The difficult part is choosing to do so. And making that first choice to where like we can step outside of our comfort zone and take those first steps, that can be the most daunting thing ever to to think like, wow, do I have the capacity to change? Do I have the capacity to do more than what I'm doing right now or to even try? And if you can take anything away from this, yes, you absolutely have that capacity. Um, Sometimes it just takes little baby steps, but it's like that saying, like the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. It's just taking that initial step. And if you can take that first steps, those first few steps, your life will change. Like the biggest foundation of the book is that if you want to have a different life, you have to do things differently than what you're currently doing. You have to make a change. And you have the capacity to make that change. Just got to believe in yourself a little bit. Couldn't have said it better myself. I, I couldn't have said it. <laughs> no. I'd have been like, awesome. oh, where are my words of wisdom? Um, don't drink too much. That's what I do. <laughs> don't do what I do. <laughs> don't drown your sorrows in alcohol. Darren, thank you so much for your time and for sharing you. your story and your your history and how you got into Buddhism and all of that with us. We uh, we really, really appreciate it. And I'm, I feel pretty confident in saying our listeners will absolutely appreciate it as well. So, yeah, and we wish you tons of success with your book. Yes. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And this has just definitely been one of my all-time highlights. So Aww. thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank Let's you. Let's keep him on for a second as we sign off. So that okay, we can yeah. talk to him after. All right. So All right. just stay right there. We're going to sign off. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, you have to check out the book. The happiness program. You have to. Do it. Do it. Find your happy. Um, I'm so happy that we had, well, one, you guys are probably listening thinking like, thank God they finally had a guest. <laughs> I know, I know. What have they been talking <laughs> about the last couple of weeks? Every time we get here, we're like, oh, what are we going to talk about? I, I know, it happens. Yeah. Um, 
We're here because you guys love us. At least we t- we think you do. So <laughs> we hope you do. Yes. We love you. Thank you for listening and watching. If you're watching on YouTube, to another episode of Between the Reps with Brooke and Gina. And don't forget to rate, rate, review, subscribe, five-star rating, five-star warning. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.